Trigger warning. Trigger warning. If you do find this not helpful at the moment, don't feel like you have There's to There's any keep... pressure to listen yeah. whatsoever. Know that Georgia and I care about you and that we love you and that we want what's best for you. Yeah. And this podcast is not aiding you in your recovery and your mental state and how your day is going. Please do not feel any pressure or need to listen to it. Yeah, just take care of yourself. Just take care of yourself. Also, Georgia and I are not professionals at all no. when it comes to Like, we're, we don't have degrees in this. No, we're not. We not. No, <laughs> no, we are just two girls who are recovering from eating disorders themselves, wanting to share our stories right. and shed some light on some topics that may be harder to talk about. There will right. also be many resources in our description box. So if there's any point during this episode, any point at all, that you feel like that you need that little bit of extra support, no, there's no judgment. There's nothing wrong with you needing that. And that feel free to use them and that we support you and that we are so proud of you. Yes. Yeah. Picture me this. I'm here. We eat the fucking food. We eat the fucking food. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to another episode of We Eat the Fucking Food. It's Lauren. Hi. Happy beginning of your week. I hope it's starting off on a great foot. I hope everyone had a happy Halloween-y. I myself did not get to really celebrate, nor did I have a really inclination to want to celebrate. I love Halloween. I love the month of October. It's my birthday month. I'm a Libra. The fall is my favorite season. But Halloween, I have never thoroughly enjoyed because this is the thing. I'm so indecisive because I'm a Libra, but I'm just indecisive in general. So I never know what to go as for Halloween. And then I always end up waiting until the last minute and then have to like scrimmage a costume together. And I'm never proud of it. And I wish I could be one of those people that like, plans their costume months in advance because I think that that's badass and super cool and applaud them for being able to do that and have creative ideas when it comes to characters to be but I just can't I just can't and every year I think I'm gonna do it and then I never do and that's okay but yeah I had a busy weekend itself I'm just gonna jump into catching up because it is my high so the high of my week was that we opened the show that I'm in and we opened that last Friday and it was opening weekend and my parents came down so I got to see them and spend some time with them and just celebrate with my castmates and my friends. It went amazing. We are Jeff recommended which is super freaking cool. I'm so excited for the rest of the run. I'm still nervous for reviews to come if they ever do. If they don't I'll be fine and content with that but I'm really proud of what we have on stage. I think it's a super fun show. I think it's entertaining. I'm proud of myself. The amount of people that came up afterwards to me from like opening night and asked how old I was because people generally believed that I was in high school still. I don't know why people think that I'm so much younger than I am. And not that it's like insulting by any means. Like that's fine. I'm not upset about being told I look like I'm like 16 I mean maybe I'd like to look like a little bit more like maybe like 20 you know but I know that when I'm like 30 I'm gonna be grateful for the fact that I look younger than I am but it was just funny because they were like oh my god I genuinely believe you're 15 like this one person was like I have a daughter that's like around is like 16 and you just played it so well and I was like that's funny I'm glad that I was able to channel that angstiness that I felt in high school and that awkwardness and just the wanting to be liked but alas yeah the low of my week would probably be I've been having some really bad body image days and that's been causing me a lot of anxiety and it's disappointing and it's frustrating and it's I don't know it's just like annoying like I want to not care and I want to not have that be a thought that feels consuming at times but then I find myself crying on my kitchen floor at 11 p.m. because I'm hungry but I'm struggling to get myself to want to eat and I hate that I can feel like I'm doing really well in other aspects of my recovery and of my journey to food freedom and like body acceptance and everything but then obviously it's not linear and it just pops up at times and it always seems to be the fall for me I don't know what it is but the fall time always seems to like trigger that self-consciousness within my body, I think it's because I can look back at where I was last fall. Like last fall around this time was when I started PHP again and I was in a bad place physically. 
So it's hard to see those photos and not, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm longing for that body because I think that I've removed myself enough from it to know the harm that my life is and like the harm that I'm in if I'm living that life and in that chapter of it, I guess. But nonetheless, I'm still having not fun body image days. Like, so the story about me crying on the kitchen floor, I had, I finally got my cry out, which I know I've been talking about for the past couple of podcasts. I was like, I really feel like I haven't just cathartically cried in a long time. And I finally did that. I think that was on, wasn't, I think it was on like Thursday. It was on Thursday night because I think I might've been like anxious for opening. And anytime that I have anxiety, I feel like I'm not good enough or I don't know that those feelings trigger me to then want a sense of control like over food and then I become hyperfixated. I'm either becoming hungry I'm becoming like I don't want to eat it's weird it's and like I said I'm still trying to figure out my relationship with food but I got back and I was like I know that I'm hungry but I really it's like late I could just go to bed I could have just like a LaCroix but I want to honor my hunger because I know that tomorrow night is opening and I'm going to be around foods that I could easily binge on and that I've deemed as being fear foods or bitch foods, which then if I'm around a bitch food and I have restricted like the day before in order of like preparation or compensation for eating the foods or being surrounded by the foods, then I know that I'm more susceptible to overindulging in those certain foods. So I was like, all right, Lauren, like let's set ourselves the best that we can because there was like one part of me that obviously did want to restrict and not want to eat a snack when I got back from rehearsal but another part of me that was like I know that if I am existing in this mentality I'm not actually setting myself up for the best day tomorrow I'm setting myself up for a lot of emotions and maybe a lapse or a failure in my own judgment and my recovery so I ate the snacks and I was really proud of myself for doing it I started small by just having like a couple popcorners I'm into popcorners again the kettle corn ones and by just like pushing myself over the hump and allowing myself to almost like dip my toe in the water of like, okay, is this an emotional hunger? Is this a physical hunger? Am I actually hungry? How hungry am I? Am Like, am I? By allowing myself to do that, I gave myself the permission to eat as little or as much as I'd wanted, but I at least I given myself permission to eat. And sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes it's just like a little toe in the water, a little one popcorner leads to maybe another. And then I portioned out myself a snack and went up to my room and I was so proud of myself I was sitting in bed afterwards watching I don't even remember what I was watching maybe Dairy Girls I maybe it wasn't done by then but I was so proud of myself because I did it also without needing to rely on say like external validation or permission to eat nor from substances either and in the past I know like something that I do that has helped me eat is getting high before. And I know that that's really common for a lot of people that do struggle with disordered eating or eating disorders that by getting yourself into a non-sober state, it makes kind of the voices become less. I at least know I would talk to my therapist about it. And she's like, honestly, sometimes I really wish that we could just have everybody be high at res. And I think that that would make recovery so much easier. And she's not wrong. She wasn't wrong. But I wasn't. And I was just sitting in bed after and I was so proud because I felt so strong and so powerful. So I guess that's also what went well in my recovery is that despite these body image issues that I'm having, despite the amount of body checking I'm doing, despite the urges and the desire and the wants to restrict, I'm being completely honest right now. Like I have very high urges. I'm not acting on them. And I don't know if that's because I'm my life wise, like my career wise, my friendships wise, like relationships, like I feel very stable and secure in them right now. So I don't feel a need to use those behaviors because I'm living a life that's making me happy. I feel like I'm finding my purpose. I feel like I'm finding who I am as a person that I don't feel a need to revert back to old behaviors because I know that that's just going to lead me into a place of more confusion and more like mistrust and distrust with like myself. And it's not going to allow me to keep this forward momentum that I feel like I'm having in my life right now. But I don't need to really know why I'm not doing it, I guess, but I'm proud that I'm not doing it. So Yay, that's what's going well recovery-wise for me. So today's episode is going to be a Q&A. I dropped some question boxes on both my personal Instagram as well as the We The Fucking Food Instagram. 
If you're not following that, this is me plugging it below. We have almost 300 followers, which is crazy and super cool and exciting. So if you're one of the followers, thanks for following. If you're not following, and if you want to, that would be kind of neat. And I think you should. Okay. But I asked some question boxes, anonymous ones. So anonymous, anonymous, anonymous ones. So I don't know who asked the questions as well as y'all don't know who has the questions. So this is completely anonymous. The questions that were asked, if you did ask a question, thank you. They were so thoughtful, so thought provoking. I'm excited to be able to answer these and give my perspective and my takes on them. Uh, they were vulnerable. They're genuine. They're topics that I'm excited to talk about. I do want to like preface this by just saying, once again, I am just a 24-year-old girl who did struggle and does struggle with disordered eating, existing in a diet culture society, sharing her thoughts and her opinions and takes on them from what she has learned on her journey to food freedom. So I'm not a therapist, nor do I have any real credibility in discussing these. So take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt, take it or leave it. I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm not telling you how you should view these things. If you have different opinions than me, that's great. That's cool. DM me. Let's chat about them. But without further ado, let's jump into the questions. Question number one, how did you react when your team wanted to send you to treatment? Not well, not well. I really tried to prolong my stay in any sort of treatment facility at any level for as long as I possibly could every single time except for the last, which I'll get into. But the first time when I was going to PHP, I was also that summer in a professional show. And I was like, I can't go to PHP right now. Like I need to finish this contract. If I don't finish this contract, I'm going to be blacklisted. I'll never work again in Chicago. Yada, yada, yada. Making up as many excuses as I possibly could to further away the start date of me going to PHP. Because as I said before, if you're not new to the podcast, you know, I went to become a functioning anorexic. I was in no intent trying to recover at that treatment facility. Um, so then a year flash forward from that date, when I was going back into res this next time, it was, I shared the story last week with Caroline on the podcast. And if you haven't listened to that episode, listen to it. It's me and my sister just chit-chatting. It's fun. I like it. But um, I went to the doctors, had my vitals checked and everything. And they're like, so your vitals are fine. Your um, heart rate is pretty low, but this, we can't really like hospitalize you for where you're at right now, like vitally, like you're still stable. And I was like, okay, cool. I left. And then that night they called and they're like, so we actually, there's a bed now available for you. Like we would love you to come to the hospital. Like we kind of were wrong. Like we reviewed your numbers and you actually do meet criteria, like come. And I was like, hell no, you can't take backseas right now. You can't backseas the fact that you told me earlier today that I was fine because that's what I've latched onto. And that's what my eating disorder is latched onto. So I was all like, no, I don't really think I need to go. I needed to go. I did need to go. And I'm happy that I did go because then I, from there, I got to go into the residential program that I wanted to go to, which was CFD. I really wanted to be at CFD. And I think I got to go because of the fact that I had hospitalization stay, which is sad. And the fact that like, if I probably wouldn't have had to be hospitalized due to my vitals, that I'm not sure I would have gotten the opportunity to go to CFD. And that's a conversation aside and in its own about when it comes to criteria and how sad it is when it comes to who receives treatment and who doesn't just based on that alone, which kind of goes into the next time I was going to treatment, which is the complete opposite. When they told me that they wanted to send me to treatment, I was all game. I, this was about a year ago. I was like, I recognize that I do not want to spiral anymore into a deeper state of malnutrition and deeper into my disorder again. I have this momentum in my life and I want to stay at school and I want to be with my friends and I know all so many things and all the coping skills that I really need to know to have a successful recovery. I just kind of have slipped and fallen off like the path a little bit. So I was like, please put me in PHP. I would love to be back at CFD at PHP, the same program I was in. Let me write it out. I'll do school. I can still work. Like that's what I want. But they were advocating and pushing for me to go back to a residential setting. And I knew that me going to said residential setting was not going to help my recovery. I was convinced and thought that it would hinder it, which we'll never know if it did or not because I didn't end up going back. But I set a firm boundary in 
I was like, I know the PHP is the place for me. I know that I just need a little bit more of a community. I need a little bit more external support, but I am willing to, wanting to, ready to do any and all the work that you want me to do at this setting. Like I am not trying to deny any sense of like treatment. I'm not trying to get myself out of treatment, which I had done in the past so much. I was like, what's the shortest stay that I can stay in PHP? What is the least amount of time that I can spend in this setting? But last year I was like, I want to be here and I wanted to be here and I was advocating to stay there. And I ended up not being able to stay there just due to requirements that weren't being met or needed to be met for me to stay at the level of care. And I mean, I'm pretty... pretty recovered right now. I'm doing quite well. I mean, obviously I still struggle. I think I'm still on a path to reach food freedom and all of that, but I know that treatment can be so scary. And I think it's also because the way in which that treatment is portrayed in media, be that kind of like I was talking about earlier, the movies like to the bone or girl interrupted. That's intimidating, extremely intimidating to be in that setting. And while I don't think it obviously perfectly capulates everything that treatment really is and that that facility or that style and each treatment place that you go to is going to be different. It does hold some truths in it that like that is kind of the vibe at times. That is kind of what it's at, which again, and for somebody who hasn't experienced that level of care can be extremely intimidating and scary. And I think that's one of the reasons why Georgia and I made that day in the life of rest to kind of really break it down because going into it, you don't know what to expect you don't know what it's really going to be like to when you go into res, at least for CFD, when I went there, like you lost, like I didn't have my phone for like a couple of months. I wasn't able to really talk to my parents except for like for 20 minutes every night, you lose a lot, but you gain that much more back from deciding to put yourself and your recovery first. So I'm a big um, fan of treatment. I think that if you are given the opportunity and the privilege to receive treatment, that that's something not to take for granted. It can be easily taken for granted, but I wouldn't. Next question. How do you remain focused on recovery when people can be complacent in diet culture? The thing that, the first thought that popped into my head was almost how I find gratitude for my recovery for the awareness of diet culture. I think that if not going through what I went through, I would not have this awareness and this knowledge on diet culture and how it affects the society that we live in and fat phobia and everything like that. And with this knowledge, I feel like that I am able to live a more fulfilling life than if I had not known this. So I guess it's a lot of reminders of myself of, well, you do become hyper aware of diet culture and you do have this knowledge now. Without that knowledge, you would still be meshed in it, or at least I would still be meshed in diet culture. I wouldn't know how it was affecting me subconsciously. I wouldn't know how it was affecting everybody's day-to-day lives. But now with this awareness, I'm able to recognize it and I'm able to call it out. I'm able to hold space for it and hold space for why I'm going to be feeling certain ways because of it. And I'm able to move past it further and live this more fulfilling, grand, happier life because of that awareness. So how I remain focused on my recovery while being surrounded by it, I guess, is knowing that this awareness that I have right now and the work that I am doing right now is setting me up for the best future. That when I'm 40, when these people may have these realizations later on in life, I have this knowledge right now and that I want to keep this knowledge and that I don't want to allow myself to fall victim to diet culture again. I want to be able to recognize it. I want to be able to call it out. I want to be able to exist in a world where yes, diet culture exists, but I don't need to exist within diet culture. So maybe that's it too. Maybe it's separating my recovery and my world that I'm living in from diet culture, that I can recognize that it's a thing. I know that we live in a society that's filled with diet culture, but my recovery doesn't have to, that I don't have to, because I have this awareness and I can see it. That doesn't mean that I have to interact with it. That doesn't mean that I have to engage with it. I mean, it's hard not to, because we're literally surrounded by it and people don't, aren't able to really see it at all times because it's literally everywhere. But to have that awareness and to be able to call it out and to be able to bring that to my life and to my recovery, maybe that's separating in that sense. I don't know if that answered the question at all, but those are some thoughts. Um, 
Next, how are you able to be so open about your ED? I struggle with being open and because I'm ashamed of mine and I would like to be more open about it. I am open in my ED because I was kind of just sick of not being honest about it. It kind of ties into the episode that I did where I outed myself for my fake Instagram posts and for this facade that I had been presenting myself online for a long time that it just kind of got exhausting. And I was like, I share so much of myself. People think that I'm living this one life when in reality, I'm struggling immensely right now. I don't want people to think that I am an idea of health, that I'm an idea that they should be striving to look like me, to have the same uh, appetite or the same diet as me to work out or exercise the way that I do, because what I'm doing is not healthy. And I think that at the time that I decided to open up about it, I was getting some feedback from peers in that like envious wanting to live a lifestyle that I did. And it's like, no, 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 no. Please far like remove yourself from that thought because this life is not a fun life to live. I'm not happy. I'm not thriving. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. If anything, I'm like miserable within this cycle that I feel stuck in. And it's not that I felt any shame or embarrassment talking about it too, but the fact that there is some sort of like shame and embarrassment. I was like, why do I need to be embarrassed or feel guilty or feel kind of disgusted with myself for suffering through this when this is something that so many people go through and so many people have to deal with, but yet nobody talks about it or nobody was really talking about it. I think we've started to more and along the lines of right now, I'm not trying to put mental illnesses against each other, but when it comes to like anxiety and depression, I feel like we've formed this vocabulary and a language and awareness around it where people do feel more comfortable talking about it and being open about it, but that that hasn't happened with eating disorders yet, that there's still some sort of stigma of like, oh, this is a taboo topic. Oh, this is something that people get uncomfortable talking about when it's like, why? Why do I need to feel bad about being open about something that I'm going through when this may be helping someone else or when this is just a part of me right now? Like, this is just a part of who I am. Am I excited and proud about it? I mean, no, I'm not proud about having an eating disorder, but I don't want to be embarrassed about it. And I don't want to feel like this is something that makes me less of a person because I think that with eating disorders, you already feel so isolated and you feel so alone and you feel so uncomfortable just like existing as like yourself. And with that added stigma on top of it, how are you supposed to recover when you have all of this just like guilt and uncomfortability and everything surrounding your recovery and yourself and your disorder? So it was almost like I needed to remove that guilt and remove that stigma and own it. I'm not saying owning my disorder, but like I needed to own my recovery. Like I needed to own that this is just something that I'm going through right now and I'm proud of myself for going through it. And if it makes you uncomfortable or if it's something that you can't or don't want to engage with or don't want to like recognize, then I don't want you in my life. Like I, if people knew that I had an eating disorder and didn't want to be with me or didn't want to be my friend or couldn't be my friend or couldn't, I don't know, support me through it, then it's like that's telling of the type of relationship I want to have with you. And that, that's almost a reason for opening up too, because it did make my support system so much stronger and so much better and so much more open and communicative. And I'm able to have these vulnerable conversations and have a podcast like this and answer questions like this and feel comfortable talking about it. Because one day I just decided that I was like, I don't want to hide in my disorder and with my disorder anymore. Like it's a part of me and almost accepting that it's a part of me gave me the strength in owning it and my recovery and the ability to talk about it and to ask for help and to be honest about how I'm doing and to end that stigma because the amount of people that have reached out to me since opening up about it who have struggled themselves or are struggling and being able to talk about it and support them because I do truly believe that you can try to understand eating disorders. You can try to understand the mentality behind it, but unless you've suffered yourself from it, it's such a hard thing to understand and to grasp because it's, there's just so many layers and elements to eating disorders. And 
I think that we as society, because of movies like Girl Interrupted or because of movies like To the Bone, see it as very like shallow things or maybe not as deep as they actually are. So to be able to shed some awareness to that and to educate and to start conversations is something that brings me a lot of fulfillment and a lot of power in my recovery. So I mean, maybe that's selfish to say that opening up was for me more than what is for others, but also I wanted to be a soundboard for people to feel comfortable talking about it because I didn't really have anybody originally to talk about it other than the people that I had met in treatment. And I wish that maybe earlier on that I would have known someone else who was going through the same thing that I was. And then I could have seen that there was another side or I don't know, learned more than just reading life with ED. My dad tried to get me to read life with ED so many times. I think I started it once or twice, but I never finished it. But I don't know. Like, I think that there needs to be more of like a reality about eating disorders shared and just a genuineness about them shared. And I'm happy and I feel lucky and I feel honored to get to be a part of that movement. So if there's some advice too, if you're wanting to open up about your eating disorder, it's really something that you just kind of have to rip the bandaid off about it. It can be scary and it can be intimidating to have this identity as someone in recovery because people do and will see you differently. But in my opinion, it's all for the better. And a weight will be lifted off your shoulders and expectations will shift and boundaries will be different and people will know. And there's nothing wrong with people knowing. There's nothing to be ashamed about and there's nothing to be embarrassed about, about having an eating disorder. So the next question, um, would you mind discussing how to create dialogue with loved ones about recovery process and how to approach acknowledging the harm you potentially caused them? Yes. Thank you for helping me through this process. Love you so much. I love you too. And I'm proud of you for being on this process. I think that choosing to involve family members or loved ones in your recovery is a huge decision because it's allowing someone into your journey and your experience, especially people that may not have the same education, vocabulary, awareness that you have regarding eating disorders, diet culture, yada, 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 those topics. And I think the biggest thing about creating the dialogue is having it be open. And I think that starts with you. That starts with you deciding to be vulnerable and sharing and letting people in on your recovery and in on those thoughts that you don't want to share out loud because those are the thoughts that will make you be the most connected with your support system. It can be scary because it's like sometimes once you say those thoughts out loud, it's like you can't really take them back because now they're just like existing out there. And that was my thing during, I feel like this most recent like stay, it was like, I want to like share so much, but also afraid that like, how, what I'm going to say is going to be held against me. What are they going to think about it? Blah, 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 blah. But it's very freeing to allow yourself to lean on those support systems and to allow them to help you because odds are like if they are your close family members, friends, loved ones, they want to help you. They want to see you succeed in this. They want to see you recover. They want you back. So they're going to want to do anything that they possibly can to help you. And sometimes they're just not going to know better. They're not going to know how to support you. They're not going to know what you need from them in certain situations. So it really comes down to you being vulnerable and letting them know and communicating those needs and those wants and those expectations and the boundaries that you have with them. I think when it comes to approaching how to acknowledge the harm that you may have caused them, that's something that I wasn't able to do in my own recovery until like two years out because of the fact that it can be very hard to receive that feedback from them. Because once you open that and you can acknowledge that like you hurt them and that it wasn't so much you hurting yourself, but that there's, it affected others. Like, I think that that can be a really hard thing to accept, to accept that not only were you going through this mental distress and this harm and this sadness and like grief, but that also your loved ones and your family members, that it affected them and their mental health and their grieving of it and their sadness and their emotions about your recovery, that they exist too. And that those exist outside of you as well. And accepting that you cause those feelings to, for, to a loved one or to 
a family member, etc., can be really, really hard. Because I think that goes along the same lines of feeling like a guilt or shame about it or grieving it. But I think some reminders that I think that it'd be important to work through before opening that door is one, acknowledging that you had an eating disorder or the eating disorder served a purpose for that point in your life. You needed it to cope through what you were going through. It, while it was maladaptive behaviors and maladaptive coping skills, they were coping skills and it was trying to help you. You just didn't know how to best support yourself and what to do. So forgive yourself for going to those behaviors or going to that coping skill because you just didn't know any better. And that goes along the lines of forgiving yourself for causing harm or damage to your relationships is that you at the time, you were doing the best you could given the cards that you were dealt. But now you have new cards. So you can redeal your hand, shuffle them up, play a new round per se. But knowing that you have given yourself the forgiveness for that time period of your life and acknowledged that 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 may not have been you, that that's just, that was a chapter of you. That's not who you are or is the first step that needs to be done when it comes to acknowledging the harm done in others. And then when choosing to open up that conversation with them, it really is being ready to receive feedback. Like I remember the first time that my sister really had opened up about her disdain and dislike for me during my eating disorder, like the time when I was struggling, it was really sad and it kind of really hurt to know that my sister, who I unconditionally love, and I know she unconditionally loves me, but during this time in my life, just didn't like me, didn't want to be around me, didn't want to interact with me because of just the person that my eating disorder made me was really, really sad for me. And it, it didn't, make me upset with myself. It just hurt to know that the pain that I was going through wasn't just like me. Like I wasn't the only one in pain that like others were as well. And that it was affecting others to that level. So being open and able to receive that, I think would start with where like you are. So before being able to acknowledge the harm that you may have done, it's like coming to terms with it yourself and coming to terms and knowing that you've done the harm yourself and then opening it, creating conversation. Like I want to just kind of talk about your experience with my disorder, because I know that while obviously it affected me for this amount of time, it had to affect you too. So if you want to talk about it and you want to share your experience and you want to share how it affected you and like how it made you feel, know that I'm open and I'm able to receive that feedback and that information. And I guess just let, it's almost like, you know, when you're in process group and it's like group therapy, people outside of that aren't really used to like active listening and just listening to listen. Like you can just like, you don't really need to give them anything. You don't owe them. I mean, you could, I guess you could owe them an apology for like, sorry that you went through this, but I think that they already know if they're your loved one and like you're close with them, they know that that's not what you wanted to do. Like Those aren't your true colors. That's not you. But just allowing them to speak their thoughts freely without feeling like there's going to be a defensive mechanism going up or judgment at all. I think that that's how you create that conversation and how you can create that dialogue with loved ones about the recovery process. I hope that answered some of it. But I like that idea. Maybe I'll do a whole entire episode really about dialogue within like context of relationships and recovery. I want my dad to come on. That's what I just thought of right there. I think my dad's going to come on to the podcast soon. And we're going to talk about, because our relationship has been all over the place since my recovery. But anywho, how can I balance being healthy and not taking it too far with restricting food? I challenge this. First, what is health? Health is different for literally everyone. I There can't be a single definition of what healthy is. And because of diet culture, diet culture has completely categorized so many things between like, is this healthy? Is this not healthy? And then by seeing the not healthy food, that causes you the desire to restrict it. For example, diet culture deems cake unhealthy. For me, cake is healthy. 
Like it's healthy for me to eat a slice of cake because it's going to bring me joy and fulfillment and fullness. And it's going to allow me to be present. And that's a healthy decision for me to make and to not restrict it because I know that by restricting it, I'm just reaffirming these thought patterns in my head that food has some sort of morality and like value to it. And food is just food. So healthy is going to one be different for everyone else. I think you can recognize wanting to make decisions in your life that are going to fuel you, fuel you in a way that makes you feel the best. And maybe that's like for me, like it's all about finding like a balance within that. And that's intuitive eating too, I guess, like a literal like description within it. But I guess how can you balance being healthy and not taking it too far with restricting? I think if you think that health is just like food and the food that you're eating, that that can't be healthy and that that isn't health. Like restricting and being healthy or like cutting down your foods and being healthy, like that's not really healthy. Like putting any really like parameters on what you can eat, in my opinion, isn't healthy. And it kind of goes into like the next question that was on here. of Like, how do you know if someone has orthorexia versus it's just health conscious? And that can be so hard because again, we live in a very like diet culture ridden society where people get praised for making the quote unquote healthy decision or for choosing the healthier option. But I think so much it does go with like intent. Like, are you choosing to eat the salad today? over the pizza because that's what your body wants and that's what you are actually craving or because you feel like some sort of pressure to make the decision to eat the salad because you think that moral wise like morality wise that that's gonna make you a better person when in reality you're not gonna be any better person for choosing a salad over a pizza type of vibe and how to recognize orthorexia versus just being like health conscious and making those decisions, I think, goes back to the intent and knowing that, like, can you still exist and have a flexible life and not feel obligated to eat these certain foods and only these certain foods because you think that it's going to make you a lesser person or that it's not, I don't know, like not really restricting and cutting food groups out and everything when it comes to like orthorexia. Like, that's my mind. Like, when you're unable to really stray from a path of like, I'm eating good foods. I'm eating healthy foods, healthy by diet culture, good by diet culture, not by you at all. So I think being able to recognize that as someone that's unable to practice flexibility and unable to have a variety of food in their life. That's when I think of orthorexia and orthorexia, like, and not to call people out right now, but like people that meal prep every single day. I mean, I meal prep sometimes when I'm busy, I need to be eating like the same foods. But like when you're meal prepping and you're eating the same exact like dry foods every single day and you're only eating like raw vegetables or you're counting all your macros, like that's that's disordered babes. That's not like healthy in my opinion when it comes to having a relationship with food. And that's where I think it's like orthorexing where people like get it confused with like orthorexia versus like health conscious. Like in my opinion from being in treatment, And again, if you think differently, that's you. These are just my opinions, but that's disordered eating. That's orthorexia, borderlining on it, if not. So I think by bringing balance into, especially when it comes to eating healthy foods, because that's been something I've struggled with too, because like I want to live a life that I feel like food is fueling me, that food is bringing me joy, that I'm like feeling like I'm getting energy from it. But that's going to consist of a bunch of different types of foods like that's going to consist of apples and that's going to consist of salads and that's going to consist of peanut butter and that's going to consist of ice cream and that's going to consist of chicken and that's going to consist of chicken nuggets and like all these different types of food like I you I think limiting your food and seeing it visually as like these foods are healthy these foods are not healthy that's when you can lead into like the restriction mindset because you decide that you shouldn't be eating that unhealthy food because of diet culture, which leads into the orthorexic mindset. Hope that made sense. Do you exercise in recovery? Mm, I did at first. I tried to exercise when I was in PHP, like the first time, like I would go on like runs. I was really into like going on short little runs or like, I don't know. I've done 
I would, I don't never been like an exercisey, exercisey person. I was when I was really deep in my eating disorder, actually, I was exercising, like actually going to a gym. But I think now I do a little like stretching yoga ab routine in the morning, just like wake me up. And I love going on walks. I'm excited about this winter because I really want to explore more ways to joyfully move my body. I think that what is hard about recovery is that often you kind of just need to stop everything. Like you really need to start from scratch, like completely reevaluating everything. And that means either stop exercising, you got to re any dietary restrictions you may have, like scratch them all off. Like we're starting from square one when it comes to our relationship with food, our minds and our bodies. So do I suggest exercising in recovery? No, I wouldn't suggest in the beginning of it. If it becomes time to like later on where you and your team have decided that you're at a place where you could start putting more joyful movement into your life and such, then go for it. Yeah, if that's what you want to do, by all means, you should exercise. You can exercise. I don't think there's anything wrong. It releases endorphins. Endorphins make people happy. Happy people just don't kill their husbands. Quote, end quote, Elwood's Legally Blonde. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it goes back to kind of what I was talking about before. Like, what's your intent? Like, why do you want to exercise? Why are you wanting to move your body? Do you feel like you're obligated and pressured to move your body? Are you compensating because of your new meal plan? Do you feel like that you're trying to find now control in this? I think that that's also hard too, because the pipeline from eating disorders to like bodybuilders or to people that are like very focused on like their physical physique in that sense, that's a whole entire conversation in itself. That's going to be a whole entire episode. I'm getting so many episodes ideas from these conversations, but do I personally exercise in recovery? I go on walks. I like walking. I do some yoga sometimes. I take random sporadic fitness classes with my friends if that's what they're doing and that's what our hanging out time is. But I don't actively like work out every day. No. Have you ever turned sleeping, turned to sleeping as a form of restriction of food, etc.? If I'm asleep, I can't eat slash think about food. I find myself falling back into this habit and your podcast was my motivation to go make myself a good dinner. So thank you. Proud of you. Way to eat that fucking food. I'm so happy you could find some motivation within this. And actually, yes, to this question. And I hadn't thought about this literally since I used this behavior. So I definitely used to turn to sleep as a form of restriction. I It was like summer of 2020, and I would be in bed by like 7 p.m. every single night. Because I totally had the same mentality where it's like, oh, if I'm sleeping, I'm not thinking about food. If I'm sleeping, I don't have to eat. Like the longer I sleep, the more even like the more I lay in bed. And I think that also borderlines with some like high functioning depression. But um, that that's just a way of like an avoidance, an avoidance of having to really like think about it or to have to either challenge the thoughts or to like have to face your hunger in a sense, too. And I, I, like I said, I hadn't thought about this or this memory was like so, so deep since I like did it or like used to use this behavior as well. And yeah, so I have, I have done that. And I'm sorry that you're falling back into that habit and that pattern. I guess my suggestion for that would to be to plan more things at night because I think this also can actually tie along to the side of that like whenever I or at least earlier in the fall when I originally moved to the city I was really struggling with the fact that after I had finished my like last meal like had dinner I didn't want to see anybody I just wanted to lay in bed like I didn't want to move I couldn't do anything but so what I started doing is I plan more activities at night and plan more things to do with my friends during the evening so that I can't be like avoided in that. And I can't avoid the discomfort that I may feel sitting and eating like after a meal. So I guess maybe instead of going to sleep, see if you can hang out with a friend, a loved one, let somebody know that like, this is something that's been triggering you or something that you've been using, and you don't want to fall back into that form of that habit. But yes, I have you're not alone in that at all. I feel like there's so many little like behaviors like that. And I kind of want to make another, I'm just speaking about all the episodes I want to make in the future, like episodes about behaviors that people like don't really talk about or like things that like seem very like niche to one person and their disorder or their recovery, but actually are like probably experienced more within the community than we think. But yeah, I relate to that. I really do. 
Relapse. Can you please discuss this a little bit? I'm currently relapsing and trying to get hard to get back on track, but it's so freaking difficult once you're back and deep in it. True that. True that. Relapsing sucks. It really does. And it's hard because it's one of those things, at least for me, where it's like anytime that I relapse, it's like maybe I was like kind of aware that I was doing it, but I didn't realize where I was until it was too late and I was too deep in it. Um, what helps motivate me or motivated me when I would like be in a relapse, I guess, is knowing that like I just didn't want to go back, like not even back to like treatment, but I just like didn't want to go back in my recovery. Like you're, I don't believe, I don't believe that even if like you do relapse, you're never going back to square one because you always have new information or new awareness that you didn't have before. So you're never going back to square one, but I just like didn't want to have to go back to a starting square. Like I was like, I want to keep this momentum going forward. Like I want to keep my life at this pace. I'm enjoying it. I'm trying so hard to like run my way out of this disorder and this marathon of a race that recovery is. And lapses and tripping it up can be so disheartening and so unmotivating. But if anything, it's also like a, not like a fun challenge because relapsing isn't fun, but it's like, you're going to learn new things every single time that something comes up about yourself. Like every single time that I went back to treatment or every single time that I relapsed, it informed me more about why my disorder was still existing and what it was serving and what I hadn't worked through the first time that I needed to go back and like reevaluate or a new thing that I needed to talk about or recognize about myself. So it's like every single time that, and I, I don't know why I'm like, I'm like today, I feel like the theme of this episode is like find gratitude within your eating disorder, find gratitude within your recovery, forgive yourself. But like, honestly, like finding gratitude within like, okay, I've realized now, now I'm just getting another opportunity to learn more about myself and to dig deeper and to get myself to be in an even better place in my recovery so that in the future, I don't even have to be concerned about relapsing because I know how to handle my behaviors and I, or I know how to handle my urges and I know the behaviors aren't going to work. And I know why I'm having these urges to use behaviors because of X, Y, Z, because this is similar to what I was feeling a couple months ago, what I was feeling a year ago, what I felt like five years ago. And that's why it's coming up and being able to like, have this even more awareness of yourself and your disorder. Can you talk about some friendships you've made throughout your time in treatment? Was it ever hard for you to choose to put yourself in your recovery before trying to help others? I don't know if that made sense, but for me personally, when I was in PHP, it became really hard to not let others' emotions and struggles directly impact my day-to-day life within recovery. Hope that makes sense. It 100% makes sense. I think that that's so hard too about like treatment settings. And while I love treatment settings and I love group therapy and I love making friends that are in recovery because like I said, they're the only ones who can fully, fully comprehend what you're going through. It's also hard because eating disorders are competitive. Eating disorders fuel off of each other at times. So to be surrounded by people who also struggle and have struggled, it, I don't know, almost can make you hyper aware too. Like I know sometimes when I hang out with my friends who have struggled with eating disorders, I almost feel like I'm more aware of my own in comparison to theirs. Like I'm like, how am I doing in comparison to them right now? How's my recovery doing in comparison to theirs type of vibe? And it feels like a competition. But those relationships also are some of my strongest, most deepest friendships come from. I mean, obviously, Georgia and I met at treatment. Darcy and I met at treatment. Like, they're some of my closest friends. Georgia and I started this podcast together. Darcy is my bestie. So it's hard because you have to, like, hold it in two hands and, like, know that at times those friendships may serve you great purpose and may really bring out the best in you in your recovery, but also know that you may need to set more boundaries with those types of friendships and relationships than you would with your friendships and relationships outside of a treatment setting, just due to the nature of eating disorders. And I think that they'll understand that. And I think that those people would get it too, because I mean, like you literally go to classes about setting boundaries some groups are literally about like boundary setting so I think that those conversations are hard and sometimes uncomfortable to have but just like knowing that I don't think it was ever hard to choose to put myself and my recovery first before helping others 
maybe at times I remember when I was in res a lot of people looked to me and I'm not I'm saying this as humbly as possible I'm not trying to brag about this right now like this is something I want to be bragging about but a lot of the other clients would like look to me and my recovery as like inspiration like we used to do these things where once a week we would be reviewed on like how we were doing and if we got to move up a level and earn more privileges and etc etc and then we go around the group too and be like thank like this is what I appreciate about you this week this is like something that like some positive like feedback and then also maybe like some constructive criticism or like this is what I'm going to challenge you to do this week type of stuff but there was one week where everybody was like you're so inspiring like you are like my motivator for recovery like all that type of stuff that's because I went into the mentality of going into res being like I'm not getting boosted I'm going to be finishing every single meal completing every single meal because I don't want to spend all the rest of the year here which I kind of did spend the rest of the year there but I'm totally that's fine I'm, I'm now moved past it but it was this weird amount of pressure too that it came to me and my therapist actually pulled me aside after that group like conversation and was like I don't know why they did that they're like they you do not need to take on like the pressure of their recovery as well and I think that that can also be kind of hard if like you maybe don't struggle in like certain areas and others are struggling in these other areas and you feel almost obligated that you should be struggling in those areas too and like letting their emotions regarding it affect you because it is such a community and a group dynamic when it comes to receiving help and like treatment centers because I know you're specifically talking about like when you were in PHP and how that affected you so I think maybe and not to have them not to have the mentality of like um, I didn't come here to make friends but like that's a mentality too of knowing that like this is you this is your story this is your journey and these people are crossing crossing your path right now and they're going to teach you lessons and it's great to have these friendships and relationships right now but at the end of the day you and your recovery are the only thing that is going to be like lasting so focus your time and energy into that because that's like your future i hope that made some sense too <laughs> next thanksgiving scares the shit out of me because my mom is constantly watching what i eat and making comments about it any advice I'm sorry that you are in a family dynamic where that is a thing. Um, I would say if you're comfortable with it, to set those boundaries before the meal. If you can have a conversation with your mom and tell her how these comments have been affecting you or like set that boundary of being like, I don't want you to acknowledge what I'm eating. I don't want you to acknowledge what I'm wearing. I don't want you to acknowledge anything like about me really that day. I just want to exist and celebrate this holiday surrounded by loved ones. And I need this to be a respected boundary. And if not, I'm going to have to remove myself from the situation. You have the full ability to choose if you're going to engage with that type of commentary as well. Or if not, you have the ability to choose how you react to it. You don't have, sadly, like you don't have the ability to control what your mom is going to do, but you do have the power and the ability to control how you react. So my advice would know that any comments that are being made says more about a person than it does about you. And that's more on them than it is about you. It probably has nothing to do with the amount that you're actually eating or what like you may like look like or anything about like your weight. Like it would be says more about them than more about you. That you have the power and the control to deem how those comments are going to affect you. You can either take them and hold them with you and latch onto them, or you can let it slide off like Teflon. That was a saying from when I was in PHP the first time. Again, that one's a lot easier said than done. But my main suggestion would be if you're comfortable having a conversation before the date with your mom and setting that boundary. And I hope that she would respect that and that maybe you'd be able to have a conversation, an open conversation about comments like that and just your eating disorder in general and like your relationship with food outside of it but that would be my advice any advice on dealing with relatives making comments about your weight this kind of goes into that one too I feel like that like anytime relatives make comments about my weight which I do get a lot of relatives making comments about my weight just because of my history with food and and right recently they've been they're good comments and I know that they're trying to be nice about it but 
one, I wish that people, nobody calmed down anybody's weight because it really doesn't matter. Like it really, really doesn't matter. Like I hate that that's like a topic of conversation that is a thing, but I guess my best advice is like in one ear out the other, like either ignore it completely or you can acknowledge it, but redirect the conversation. You can call them out right there and be like, why do you feel the need to comment on that? Like, thank you, but I'd rather like not really talk about it. Thank you, but I don't think we need to focus on my weight right now. Thank you, but this isn't a conversation I want to engage with. And set the boundary. It's a lot, a lot of thing about like boundary setting. And that goes also back up to creating a dialogue with loved ones about like your recovery process and about your recovery and why I, again, opened up about it because by opening up and making people like aware of it, it then also gave me the ability to feel more comfortable calling people out and having those conversations and redirecting and like knowing that these were topics that I was not going to be engaging with or like talking about. And then this is why I also transitions into the next question about how family and friends can best support and intervene when people do make comments. I think a lot of it is about like redirecting. Like I can think my grandma, bless her heart, love her more than anything. I know that she doesn't mean anything like malicious with this at all. But when we were on vacation, um, with my family this past summer up north, the amount of times my grandma likes to latch on to certain thoughts. And her thought was, we're eating so much food. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to eat for a week when I get home. I'm not going to have to eat for a week. These meals are so much. This is so like big. And she just wouldn't drop it. Like she just couldn't let that thought go and kept saying it. And my family is so supportive and aware of it. So I feel like in those moments, what we did and what I do is either I bring up something else that's a part of the conversation. Change the topic completely. Just pretend like that that comment like wasn't even said or wasn't even like really like made when it came to like conversations about say like food. I guess I'm speaking about food more than I'm about weight. We'll get to that in a second. But to just change the topic completely to like acknowledge it and be like, yeah, that's so true. But also you should eat because your body like just because you're eating a lot today doesn't mean that you're not gonna be hungry. and You don't know how hungry you're going to be in a week from now. Like just like making it a lighthearted little redirect. It doesn't need to be aggressive like that. Like you don't need to shame a person for making those comments because odds are they probably don't know any better and don't think that it's coming from like malintent. They're just trying to make conversation. But a nice slight little redirect. When it comes to about weight, I feel like that it's the same thing. It's like a redirect. It can be if somebody's like, oh my God, have you lost weight? You look so great. Oh, thank you so much for pointing that out or trying to bring that to attention but knowing that like I am right now it's hard because I feel like scratch what I just said I don't know why I said anytime people have made comments about my weight in the past that's when I've opened up about my eating disorder and people are like oh you're so healthy oh like you're so like like this one girl I used to work with at the hair salon that I just quit she was like you have such a tiny waist you're so little you eat so healthy and I was like girl I am recovering from an eating disorder I'm recovering from eating disorder so I don't want you to look at me and think health. I don't want you to look at me and think that I'm proud existing. And I mean, right now I'm proud existing in my body. Sure. But like that, this is a body that should be strived for and was obtained through choices that led me to living a healthy lifestyle. Cause it didn't, it wasn't. So I think just like calling it out and almost like calling yourself out for it as well. When it comes to relatives helping redirect, I think it's just fully changing the topic of the conversation. I think it's completely redirecting where the conversation was going, maybe acknowledging it at a different point later on in the day and just completely pretending like nothing was said. And I don't know if that's too avoidant. And that's why I suggest going up and talking about it later. But I think, or like checking in with that person later too. But like as a family relative, like the times in which that my dad has just like kind of redirected the conversation or my dad has been like, we're not going to talk about that. As simple as that. That that has been the most helpful and supportive. How to gain weight that's past your set point. The set points are weird because a part of me is like, how do you know when something's a set point? Like, how do I know that this is what my body is going to exist like the best in? Like that this is the weight that my body wants to be at. And I think yes, acknowledging that, that just because there's a set point, a set point is a minimum. A set point is like the minimum that the treatment team is wanting you to hit and that your body's going to exist in. So if your body wants to exist at a larger weight than your set point, then like, that's just where your body wants to be. That's where you are going to exist and live the most like fulfilling, happy life. If you're 
not thinking about food all the time, if you're having fun, having freedom in activities with friends, if you're moving your body as joyfully as you want to move it, if you're eating a variety of foods, if you're not hyper fixating on foods or your body or anything like that, whatever your weight you're existing on, like that's the healthy right set point for your body, like not like the medical standard set point. So maybe it's reframing what a set point is to you to help in that situation. Daily small habits you can incorporate into your recovery journey. I think that it has to do like a lot with just like checking in or what has helped me with my recovery journey is one, like waking up in the morning, acknowledging how I'm feeling that day and how what I'm eating or consuming or the physical activity and what I'm doing may be influencing my mind. So just really checking in with yourself. And then one of my favorite like things to do, like a daily like habit to incorporate is I love like dancing in the mirror at myself. <laughs> like whenever I feel really proud about something I did in recovery and I'm just feeling really great in my body, just like staring at myself and dancing in the mirror makes me so happy and brings me so much joy. And I've been doing that since I think like this like past fall. So that's been a little like cute little habit that I do to celebrate myself. I celebrate myself all the time in my recovery. And I think that like acknowledging all the little things as like celebratory things and things to be proud of help reframe your thoughts or like reconnect your like synapses in your brain to be the healthy ones and make those healthy decisions. What is the biggest, most recent lesson you've learned in your recovery journey? Okay. The biggest lesson that I have learned in my recovery journey would probably be just the way that it completely changed my outlook on life. I talked to, I've talked about this before. People know that my mantra is like full moments and living for the full moments. But prior to having an eating disorder, I was living with such a shallow mindset when it came to my priorities. I was so aware of what people thought about me and wanted everybody to like me. I wanted to be thought of as popular. I wanted to be desired. I wanted to be envied. I wanted to be, I don't know, like that's what I wanted. Like that's, those were my only goals in life. Like I didn't really value anything else. Like I just valued people seeing me as some like it person. And my getting an eating disorder and doing the work that I had to do completely flipped all of those thoughts. I now could care less about that. I mean, obviously, I still want to be liked by people. I want people to think I'm a nice person. But before it was like, I want people to look at me and think that like, wow, she's fucking super hot and super pretty. I want to be like her. Not like, oh, she's so kind. She really cares about her friends. She really has this way of speaking and articulating her words that draws me in and I want to be around her like that type of presence has completely yeah going into recovery has completely shifted me to the opposite side of that so I think that that's like the biggest lesson that I've learned is that like I now value inner beauty more than outer beauty and I really and that seems like a super basic thing that I've learned but that's just the first thing that popped in my head but like I really did used to value outer beauty but now I see inner beauty more and That's what I strive for. I strive for inner beauty. It's completely changed my priorities. The most recent lesson that I have learned in my recovery would probably be that you just have to do it. When I think about my struggles recently, when it comes to like my body image or wanting to restrict or having urges pop up, it's like, I just need to not do it. Like, or like if I'm hungry, I just got to eat. If I'm thinking about the food, I just got to do it. If I'm uncomfortable in my body, I just need to go through the day. Those feelings are going to pass. So I feel like it's really what's been going through me is just like plowing through. I've just been trying to steam ahead in my recovery. And maybe that'll come back to bite me in the butt in like a month or two when I'm just like super emotional about everything. But like for now, that's been the most helpful thing in my recovery and continuing to move me forward momentum because I feel like that I feel this momentum and just really like latching onto the momentum of forwardness. But yeah. Okay. I feel like that was a really long episode. So thank you for listening and for asking questions. And I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question. I just chose a handful of some of the ones that I felt like I could talk the best about and the most about. Um, Thank you for listening. 
I'm proud of you as always. Let's check out something I'm going to do to take care of myself today. I'm going to see my friends tonight. And I'm so excited because I haven't seen my friends in like two weeks. And actually, it's only been like eight weeks. But I am such a person where like my friends are my favorite people in the entire world. And I talk about them so much. There's so much like love every single podcast episode, I feel like. But seeing these specific group of friends is my most favorite part about living in the city and is the happiest part about living in the city. Our movie nights on Tuesday literally bring me so much joy. I love this friend group. And I always know that whenever I see them, like these are the people that like I just exist with. Like I can just like exist and be comfortable with no matter what. So getting to see them tonight, I'm very, very excited. But yeah, so thanks for listening. Way to eat that fucking food. We'll chat again next week. And I love you all. Bye.